Ladies, have you ever wondered what it would be like to be in an open relationship? That means you and your partner agree that you're both free to live out your wildest fantasies with other people, both by yourself and as a couple. Well, our guest today did exactly that, and she boldly and vividly chronicles it in this amazing book, Open, an uncensored memoir of love, liberation, and non-monogamy. Rachel Krantz is here today. She's an award-winning journalist and a founding editor of Bustle, and she's sharing her insights and inspiring the question, is an open relationship for you? Welcome to the Goddess Power Show with Elizabeth Ann Atkins, the podcast for women exploring traditionally taboo topics, especially pleasure, as a portal to your power to live bigger, better and bolder and manifest your heart's wildest desires. I'm Elizabeth Ann Atkins, and I interview trailblazing people about taboo topics that help women manifest our heart's desires. Well, Rachel Krantz is definitely doing that, and I'm super honored that you're here today. Welcome, Rachel. Yeah, thanks for having me. You're welcome. I loved this book. I like lived vicariously through you. And while it was super titillating at many points about, you know, the sex parties and the tropical resorts with other couples, it also struck such deep chords of angst and anxiety and things that can happen and jealousy in relationships. It's so powerful. But before we dig into the juicy stuff, Rachel, can you explain what is non-monogamy so we're all clear? Yeah, so non-monogamy is anything but monogamy of a wide range of how people practice. You might have on one end people who only sometimes have a threesome together as a couple or people have a don't ask, don't tell policy or an only when you're out of town policy. Um, And then in the middle, maybe somewhere you might have swingers who do things together as a couple, maybe at play parties, maybe they date together. Um, And then you have getting towards the other end, polyamorous people who have independent outside relationships or not independent but real relationships where it's love based it's not just about sex and where emotional attachments are formed with more than one person how is polyamory and non-monogamy how are they different well i mean polyamory is a type of non-monogamy but yeah just like i said it's kind of specifying you know like the word more than one love so it's it's kind of Whereas some swingers, they have outside experiences, but a lot of them will say it's just sex. You know, there's only one relationship. Whereas Mm. polyamorous people will say, no, there's multiple relationships. Um, Mm. Perfect segue into meeting Adam in New York City. You're a 20 something professional and you meet this wonderful man and he comes with him this whole fairy tale of love and forever after and all that. But then the idea of an open relationship. Can you take us there and explain how you got into this whole experience? Yeah, I mean, he told me on our first date before we even kissed, which is when the book starts, that this was the way he wanted to be in relationship. He said, I'm looking for a partner, someone to share my life with, but if you were that person for me, I would never restrict you. And That was scary to me, but also intriguing because I'd heard of non-monogamy and 
Before that point, I'd just been a serial monogamist, you know, for the last 10 years. I had kind of like a boyfriend every year or two, and then the same pattern would happen of I'd start to feel restricted and kind of um, bored and restless. And I was just hoping that once I met the magic one, like that would go away or that maybe I'd get older and grow out of that feeling. But the idea that this very compelling man who had experience with this and was older than me and whose judgment I really trusted and who literally was a professor of desire. He studied this academically. I was like, maybe this is a good way to see if something different might work for me. Uh-huh. So he, you opened your mind to that. And so take us to that first experience. I know you were at the sex party in Brooklyn and it was fascinating. Can you take us there? Yeah, the first way I waded into the waters, which is pretty common for a lot of people who try non-monogamy, is through a, a sex party, which now I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm glad I did it then, because I think as germaphobic as I was then, it would be too much now. Um, but Adam had confessed to me that his kink was to see me with other men, um, which is a fantasy, you know, sometimes referred to as cuckolding, but really what he was into is called hot wifing, which is like kind of more of a competitive vibe rather than the man being cuckolded, that it's kind of, they're both teaming forces to uh, please the woman. And then afterwards there was a sort of very possessive reclaiming. So at the party, yeah, he saw me with another man for the first time and it was very exciting um, to feel like not only could I go after whatever I wanted, but this was something that was actively encouraged that mm. in this new paradigm, being slutty, quote unquote, was not a bad thing. Yes, 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 yes. And in fact, at one point in the book, you're like, I am so living my best life right now. <laughs> I was like, yes, <laughs> I loved that. But then the man basically splashed a bucket of ice water on your sizzling hot moment by using the S word slut. Can you talk about how that just really cooled your moment? Yeah, well, that was um, one of the, I guess it was the first threesome we had outside of a party. And it was this guy named John Smith, who was really handsome. And um, I was, I was into him. It was fun. It was going well. And just all of a sudden he sort of broke into a lot of porn speak of like, oh, you slut, like you like that, don't you? You know, all this other stuff. I don't know how explicit I can be, but I just felt like, yeah, it really kind of killed the vibe for me. And that's not to say people can't enjoy those terms or that there's anything wrong with it. But I, um, I was too inexperienced with kink to know that those are the kinds of things you might want to discuss in advance of a threesome if someone doesn't know you that well to say look here's what I like here's what I I don't like I don't want to be called that or I only like to be called that by someone I'm in love with or whatever else it is so yeah that was that was a lesson of yeah you could try different ways of being in relationship but you're still under the same social conditioning and society. So you're still under porn culture and patriarchy and the pressure to please now not just one man, but two men, you know? So when I couldn't orgasm, I remember thinking back then, oh, what's wrong with me that even this can't make me orgasm? And it's like, well, because he was saying all these things that were turning me off. Right, 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 right. Mm. So speaking of turning off, let's talk about turning on women were in the picture as well. 
being bisexual, having threesomes with women or other couples. Can you talk about that too? Because that opened a whole new terrain for you. Yeah, I think that was one of the best parts of coming into non-monogamy for me was first those play spaces afforded a space to, I guess, gain more physical confidence with women because I've been interested in women my whole life to varying degrees of consciousness, but, you know, tried a little bit to date and just had not gotten very far. And I sort of felt like, oh, now I'm too old. You know, I was like 27 or 28. Uh, They're going to think I'm too inexperienced. Um, But with those parties, I gained some confidence so that by the time I met Miranda, who you meet in the book, and was really interested in her romantically, that I felt more sure that this was a real part of my sexuality and that yes I had an ability to make women feel good so I had more confidence I guess by being in that situation so that was a really positive part of um, being non-monogamous for me was coming into my queerness. Mm, beautiful on the other side of confidence though was the extreme jealousy that you experienced with Adam, especially when it opened up for him to date other people. I mean, you had the moment with Simone in the bar and she's this beautiful woman and he's fawning over her and you're just having these really (laughs) angry thoughts and words in your head. So can you talk about the downside of this, please? How do you control that jealousy that rages up that you were kind of surprised by? Yeah, I mean, that is the question. I think you see me struggling throughout the book to varying degrees of success to adapt to the feeling of jealousy and also to untangle what about my feelings are things that are based in beliefs that I need to work on in myself and decondition Mm -hmm. and what is sort of a, a warning signal that I don't feel safe in this relationship. So I think both those things were going on at the same time. I was adapting to, you know, my first experiences with having a partner, dating with, sleeping with someone else. And that's just going to be a challenge for most people, no matter what. But on top of that, the relationship with Adam was very much where he viewed my jealousy as an immature emotion. It wasn't held really with compassion. It was viewed as something to train out of me. And often if I had trouble with this behavior, it was kind of like I was being immature or unevolved. And so I think within that framework, it was very hard to not be jealous. One thing I've noticed in myself and others is that the safer you feel, the less usually jealousy is going to be a struggle, which makes sense, right? Because it's it's insecurity. Yeah, the relationship with him was fascinating because it was all about dominance and submission and the way it kind of played in your mind you questioning yourself all the time, the gaslighting, telling you you're throwing a tantrum and you're crying and having diarrhea and just, <laughs> it's, that's not the fun part of the relationship that you're embarking on all this, you know, exciting sexual adventure. So the downside of it was really difficult. It was literally making you ill. Mm-hmm. So how did you overcome that? Well, I don't know that in that relationship I ever fully did. I think I adapted um, through kind of an exposure therapy of things that upset me a lot in the beginning. By the end, were not a big deal. You know, him going on a first date or just kissing someone, big deal by the end. Whereas in the beginning, you see that that's literally making me sick to my stomach. But the thing was the goalpost always kept moving. So it's like I would adapt to one thing 
And then it was still like I needed to open up more and be more, uh, you know, less hierarchical. Yeah, more open in my ideas. And, and that I don't think I was ever fully comfortable with. Not because I don't think I'm open to different ways of being in relationship, but because I, again, didn't really feel like I had the ability to say no or that I didn't feel okay with it for any prolonged period of time without losing him. Right, right. There's always that fear. And that was like this undercurrent of angst that you had through the story. The Goddess Power Show with Elizabeth Ann Atkins is sponsored by Two Sisters Writing and Publishing, celebrating and showcasing diverse writers with memoirs, business books, novels, erotic fiction and monthly writing contests whose winners get published in international anthologies. Read all about it, along with best-selling books, short stories, and the blog at twosisterswriting.com. You can even apply to publish your book on the Two Sisters Writing and Publishing Global platform. And if you're dreaming about writing a book, get help from another sponsor of The Goddess Power Show, America's Book Coach. She can help you write your memoir, novel, or business book in six months. Join her writing community and learn about the passion and pleasure program that guides you to write an erotic novel, to express your wildest fantasies, entertain people everywhere and earn money for you. Please visit americasbookcoach.com. Writing is power. Activate it with the power of your pen. Thank you sponsors for supporting the Goddess Power Show with Elizabeth Ann Atkins. So Rachel, I just loved how you used your amazing award-winning journalism skills to not only tell your story so beautifully, but also bolster it with statistics and historical facts that are in footnotes. So you don't interrupt the storytelling. You just have all these awesome footnotes. I've never enjoyed footnotes so much. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just love that. But some of the things that you share in the footnotes are actually the dangers that people face by being non-monogamous. Obviously, women's reputation, slut shaming and all that is very, very real. But you talk about throughout history, women have been tortured, punished, killed, for being adulterous or non-monogamous. And even in today's world, people can, you said, lose their jobs or lose custody of their kids if it's exposed that they're in the lifestyle of being non-monogamous. Can you talk about those very real fears that hinder people from exploring as you did? Yeah, well, I think that, you know, there's no civil protections for people who are non-monogamous. So there are cases where people have lost their job or their kids because a grandparent finds out and sues for custody. And if it's a conservative enough judge, they can they can say that's an unfit home, even if it's healthy. So there's those real fears of, you know, you're doing something very taboo. People think explicitly sexual, even though for some people non-monogamy is quite quote-unquote vanilla seeming from the outside in that it's like maybe they just have two regular long-term partners and it's not really anything that exciting or scandalous. Mm -hmm. And even if it is, you know, it's part of that overall culture that says people exploring their sexuality in any way that's viewed outside of the, the kind of this idea of the charmed circle 
that we decide is within the realm of what's acceptable. Anyone who's outside of that is is deviant and uh, potentially dangerous and the sort of mm. conflation of non-normative behavior with dangerous behavior, you know, like predatory behavior. But it's, mm. of course, it's not the same thing. Wow, it's really, really fascinating because it's a real fear. People are very secretive. But interestingly, you said many of the people that you met who are in the lifestyle of being non-monogamous or polyamorous are from the Bible Belt. (laughs) (laughs) Some of the most conservative places, which is so fascinating. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I mean... That's what Kathy Labriola told me. The group of swingers, they're they're close to the Bible Belt, actually, but not not quite. But that I profile in the book. Yeah, Kathy was saying a lot of her clients who are non-monogamous, a lot of the people who call her are from places where it's very taboo. And that could be because, you know, they can't find friendly, kink-friendly or non-monogamous-friendly professionals in their area. So the fact that Kathy has phone sessions allows them to do that. So it's hard to say. There's not really enough research on non-monogamous people to know for sure. I do think overall, in general, the concentrations are higher in cities, but um, there's definitely people all over practicing. Mm -hmm. So what was your biggest takeaway of all the people you met? Like the way you chronicled the conversations when you were in, I think, Cancun with all those couples, it was fascinating because they were all openly discussing their lifestyle and many had been non-monogamous for decades. So what was your biggest takeaway in meeting all these people living their best life, really? I mean, I guess in meeting particularly that group of swingers and getting to know them better, I saw like this is a model that totally works for a lot of people and was a real contrast to all the drama that continued with me and Adam and made me start to realize, oh, maybe my problem isn't with non-monogamy, but with the person I'm practicing non-monogamy with. And just seeing that what all these couples had was a real secure foundation of trust and attachment. And that foundation gave them a lot of freedom to explore from, but that without that, they all would say it wouldn't work. Wow, that's fascinating. So Rachel, let's talk about STDs and the fear (laughs) of that, because to me, it sounds like a big Petri dish of STDs sloshing around together, but that sounds terrifying. What was, you said you're a germaphobe too. So what was that like? How did you calm that fear? Yeah. I mean, I hadn't even really had much casual sex before this whole experience because I just wasn't, I wasn't that interested in it. So, and I hadn't really tended to date around even. So this whole world was newer to me, but I also found because of that, I was much more strict about asking people for STD tests, using condoms. And that, you know, statistically bears out that people in non-monogamous relationships use condoms at a higher rate than people who are cheating, for example, which makes sense, right? It's all above board. And I found in general, the people who I encounter along the way who sort of were engaging in riskier behavior, it wasn't actually more deceptive behavior around STD disclosure. It wasn't the non-monogamous people, it was the guys who identified as just dating, quote unquote. And that's a lot of that's a lot of guys. I learned that's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think about it, people think they haven't practiced non-monogamy, but what is dating? A lot of people have an overlap of partners or there's an understanding of you're kind of maybe dating a few people at once till you decide who you want to be monogamous with. And then you have people who just are kind of perpetually single or dating around. And 
those are the ones who I found it, it was often the least awareness or disclosure around sexual health. Mm, fascinating. So Rachel, can you talk about what women should know if they decide they want to do this? But how do you start? Well, first of all, by acknowledging you're not broken or a freak or weird, um, you know, I think pick up my book and you'll get lots of information about the statistics behind that of how this is actually completely normal and despite the stereotypes that men are the ones who want to spread their seed more that and women just want to lock it down but the studies actually don't bear that out it seems like women are having more trouble with long-term monogamy and lack of novelty than men are so first of all don't slut shame yourself or shame yourself or think there's something broken and then I would say to try to find non-monogamy or kink-friendly counselors to read other books besides mine, many of which are like referenced throughout my book so that you might get an idea of, you know, which guides to read. The podcast Multi-Amory is excellent for also getting a lot of information and try to find some sort of community, even if it's just online. It's important to have other people you can talk to as you embark on this if you're not really sure with those questions of, I'm, I'm mad my partner just did this and I, I don't know if it's me or I don't know if it's them. You know, it's good to get mm -hmm. other opinions from a counselor and also from people who are also non-monogamous. Um, mm -hmm. That would be, I guess, my main advice. That's really, really exciting. And I love how you said release the stigma of slut shaming because the fear of being called that people, you know, it can ruin people's reputations and their careers. And it's a huge problem that many women I know are very, very hindered by. So do you have any more advice on that? Yeah. Well, I think that learning more about the actual reality of what are people's desires, what are women's desires specifically will help you realize how normal you are mm -hmm. and how like not, yeah, not abnormal to realize that slut shaming is based in sexism and patriarchy, just flat out fear of women having autonomy over their own bodies, embodying their power fully. I would also say, you know, for people who have a partner, maybe a male partner and don't want to uh, do anything that them, they might feel jealous over, or maybe are super interested in the idea of being with someone else, but not so interested in the idea of seeing their partner with someone else. A lot of women don't know that the kink like Adam had of cuckolding or hot wifing is like one of the most popular categories of porn. And so like this fear we have of like, oh God, why do I like more than one guy? Or like, I sometimes want this kind of sense of competition. Very normal. Also turns out a lot of men are turned on by that. So again, if you're not sure where to start with in terms of talking to your partner, or you're not sure like how much jealousy you yourself want to encounter, you might, that might be one way to open up the conversation of, oh, I read in this book, you know, this woman was having threesomes with other guys. Like, how would you feel about that? And you might, you might be surprised um, that more partners are open to it or excited by it than you would think. I love that. I also loved, Rachel, how at the end you come back to yourself in the book. You come back to yourself, the relationship ends, you leave, and you're empowered by that. You go on a spiritual journey that's extremely empowering for you. So can you talk about the importance of that sort of healing phase and going within and just uh, nurturing, pampering yourself? Yeah, it was very, very important 
especially because the gaslighting had gotten so intense and the emotional abuse in general had gotten intense. And I'd really come to hear his own voice inside my head more than my own. So I needed a real extreme period of silence, of coming into a meditation practice in order to just begin separating what is who am I like where's my voice separated from his voice because I had been so subsumed by the relationship and just kind of so submissive and trusted everything over to him so I think that learning to nurture myself was also very important having a period of deliberate celibacy where I wasn't like depending on other people to do that nurturing or comforting for me learning to do that for myself meditation lots of reading reading other books mostly by women who've been on similar or different journeys just to remind me that I wasn't um, alone mm-hmm. and yeah that's what I wanted to pay forward with this book is that you know hopefully it helps someone else who's like I said curled up in that same ball that I was not that long ago and that they can see look she got out of it because sometimes when you leave a relationship especially one like that where you've so lost your sense of self or self-worth you feel like just imagining leaving feels like how would you even function because a lot of times people will say like you need me to take care of you and things like that and so I I know that I had kind of lost trust in my own ability to take care of myself so I wanted to I guess prove that to myself again and then show in this book how that worked and it is possible you know you can come back to yourself you can learn to be your own soulmate I guess I love that I agree with you 10,000 percent that is so beautiful and so that's the ultimate power the ultimate when you when you hit that mark that's awesome so Rachel do you still practice this lifestyle I do. And I have been non-monogamous with my partner, uh, Teo, who you meet at the end of the book. Um, Since the beginning, I told him this. And I think, you know, you kind of see it makes sense by the end of the book of even though things had gotten so bad with Adam, you see why that might be the case. But I also knew I wanted to practice very differently. Have it be something where if he felt jealous or I felt jealous, that that was able to be communicated about and held with compassion. And so obviously it's been, I would say, a lot less than in the book, uh, you know, both because I'm older and also the pandemic. But yeah, the whole time I've still identified as non-monogamous. I still, over the pandemic, formed a long distance relationship with someone. And then after the vaccines was able to go see them and, and have a relationship with them. So I... I still am, but I would say that it's much less of a breakneck pace than it was before. Oh, exciting. Okay, so what's next? Are you writing another book? I hope so. You know, if enough people buy this one, hopefully I can (laughs) write another book. I think that we'll see what it's about. I'm not exactly sure yet, but I'm interested in the idea of potentially trying to confront my fear of death. But I'm open to a lot of other ideas too. And the biggest thing I have going on right now is my new podcast help existing where I talk with a different person each week who gives advice on a different aspect of existence so like for the first episode we had Atashi the Buddhist monk who's in the end of the book and he's talking about how we can deal with that feeling of despair over the state of the world and then we'll have other episodes talking about kink or um, about you know how to figure out whether or not you want to have kids or a really 
broad range of life topics, but each one will be practical. So mm. I'm really enjoying producing that now because it's a great excuse to have really helpful conversations that are hopefully beneficial to other people too. <laughs> <laughs> love that. Love that. Well, I just want to thank you because your book really, really inspired me. I learned so much. I love the way you wrote it. Again, the storytelling with bolstered by your journalism skills, which are outstanding. And thank you for doing this because I think it's going to help a lot of women really boss up and try it out. And if they like it, great. If they don't, you know, at least they tried. So thank you very, very much, Rachel Krantz, for this awesome contribution to women's empowerment. Oh, thank you so much. You're welcome. I wish you the best. And I am so grateful that you joined us here on the Goddess Power Show today. Thank you, Rachel Krantz. Thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. And thank you all of you for joining us here on the Goddess Power Show with Elizabeth Ann Atkins, where you got to meet Rachel Krantz, the author of Open, an uncensored memoir of love, liberation, and non-monogamy that I recommend that you read because it will give you some insights and answer the question, is an open relationship for you? I will see you in the next episode. And remember, Goddess, you have the power. So is the Goddess Power Show with Elizabeth Ann Atkins inspiring you to live bigger, better and bolder and manifest your heart's desires? Then please subscribe, rate, review and share the podcast to help more women experience these life-shifting ideas. You can also watch the Goddess Power Show with Elizabeth Ann Atkins on YouTube. You'll find the link at thegoddesspowershow.com. While you're on the website, read the blog and see how Elizabeth's retreats, guided meditations and erotic writing courses can help you activate your female superpowers and make magic happen in your life. Enjoy her sexy novels and don't miss her latest book, The Biss Tribe. Activating Your Goddess Power by Elizabeth Ann Atkins. Find it all at thegoddesspowershow.com to rock your realm from a throne of power wearing a crown of confidence to manifest your heart's greatest desires. Remember, goddess, you have the power.